What's poppin', y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Heliocentric Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. In today's episode, we got a lot to unpack, and we're also going to be doing our first mailbag episode, which has me truly excited. Before we dive into that, though, I just want to remind everybody at home, make sure you hit that like button for me. And if you're new and you enjoy this type of content, make sure you subscribe. Before we dive in and start, I got something big on my heart I want to share with y'all for a second. On Saturday, after we did the podcast a couple days ago, um, I went to an event that my mom was having for the community to show her some support. She had asked me to come to if I if I had time that day. And at that event, I'm watching my mom do her thing. She's talking. It was an event for dads in our community. Um, and she told me real quickly that something had happened. And I did. You know, my mind is not thinking anything crazy. But long story short. One of my aunts had passed away and um, she ended up telling me the news in her event, like while she's talking and everything, because somebody said a quote or they wrote down something for the kids. It was, you know, write down something, an, an affirmation for kids to see in the hallways at school or something your, your kids can see. And somebody said something that kind of it, it brought it out of her to, to say it. And that's how I was told. Now, normally in situations like that, I'm an emotional person. Um, and to hear that type of news of your aunt passing away, um, it, it can be tough. But to see my mom show that type of strength allowed me to be strong, not only in that moment, but these last couple of days where I've able to been a constant support for my mom and just try to help her get through it. You know what I mean? Because most of the time my mom and our family is supposed to be that rock. So I'm trying to allow her to be able to, you know go through whatever she needs to go through to really to to really heal herself. So I'm saying that to, to, to y'all because also one of the things that was helpful for me these last couple of days were y'all. Um, I was looking forward to doing this podcast um, because knowing I had to do it on Monday meant during some of those times after I just leaned on basketball because I'm like, I got to do the heliocentric Monday. So I got to, you know, develop topics. Um, even when that happened, uh, Shohei signed with the Dodgers and I said something on Twitter, you know, just trying to trying to find an outlet. And, and it was y'all. And I think sometimes y'all don't understand that part of it. It's just like a one sided thing. We're like, man, P, we appreciate you grinding and all the videos you make in our day. But it's like I tell y'all all the time, y'all mean more to us than y'all know. And I'm saying that to give y'all flowers and to tell y'all I appreciate y'all. But I'm also t- telling y'all this so y'all can show my mom some love and support in the comments because she reads the comments. Um, like I said, I've been good because I was able to get that strength from her. And then I leaned on y'all and this right now in basketball is my outlets. And um, I've been able to keep keep myself together a lot better than I think I would have normally. Um, and at a certain point, I'm going to have have my moment I'm sure because it always happens. It's not, it don't always hit the same for some people. I'm kind of still in a shock mode or whatever, but that was my main thing. Show mama, mama Jamie, some love in the comments. She reads all, <laughs> she reads y'all comments more than I do. Um, one time I ran into her and she was like, uh, not ran into her. One time I, I went to her house <laughs> and, um, it was like a couple of weeks ago or maybe last week. And she says, man, the comments be having me cracking up. Somebody said the way P uh, 
the way P dropping, you think he have a baby on the way. He, he going hard. Like, he going hard for us or whatever. And that she was just saying how funny it is. She reads, again, all of the comments. So if y'all have the time, make sure y'all show some love to Mama Jamie in those comments right now and continue to to be uh, the love, loving and supporting community that y'all are. I just wanted to let y'all know that because a lot of times I feel like y'all think that y'all are in debt to us, the creators, or through the wire. But I feel like it's two sides and those are the reasons and the moments why when we go on tour we do live shows we stay an extra two and a half to three hours later to make sure everybody gets something signed or everybody took a picture or we were able to conversate with everybody that's why i'm willing to interact more than anybody you know on twitter now i never feel too high and mighty to reply and interact with anybody um i try to follow back and dm and do birthday shouts out shout outs as much as possible that's why so i appreciate y'all <clears throat> Thank y'all. And I kind of just wanted to um, take that moment to give my mom a shout out and some love. And obviously, rest in peace to my auntie Betty that we call Betty Boop, um, of course. Now, um, getting into basketball, my pops is calling me right now. He, he probably got a lot of basketball. He want to talk or something. Um, the in-season tournament, right? I've talked about the in-season tournament, I think, on one of the previous podcasts. I even talked about it in a YouTube video um amazing 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 before we dive into the championship game i definitely want to give the nba and adam silver their credit and their just due because i really do think that this in-season tournament exceeded a lot of our expectations i will speak specifically for myself um again i had reservations and i was skeptical about how it would be perceived and how seriously it would be taken and how entertaining it would be overall um, but I think they did a really good job. The floors, people are opinionated about. It could be too much for some others. But I think that's the type of things that you have to do when it comes to in-season tournament. You got to you gotta jazz it up as much as possible. Um, and it was, in a good, it was a good attempt. Some courts I like better than others. Some of the outrage I understand. But as a fan, you have to love the attempt to do something to make it more different and put it on a higher scale. That's what we're asking for. Um, even the jerseys, not the biggest fan, but they tried. And that and I think that's what you want to want to see as a fan, excuse me, over the course of um, introducing new things. Don't do it boringly. Give it the fullest attention that you can to try to, you know, make it make it as exciting. But I think they they really nailed this one home. This is probably uh, man next to the play in. This is the closest thing to playoff basketball that we have that was like calculated. You may have certain matchups throughout the the time um, of the season where two, the two top teams will, will mesh against each other, like the Warriors and Cavs on Christmas Day. You may have a rivalry. Um, you know, maybe the Knicks and Celtics have a really really good game that felt like a playoff atmosphere because both teams are on the um, the East Coast and they're kind of close, so the fans can migrate and it gives you that type of environment. But this is the first time where it felt. We are intentionally trying to create playoff basketball with something on the line that make players step up and and make teams play like it's the playoffs. And that's what I got from the championship game. That's what I got from the Lakers in both final four games. Uh, we got that in the Pacers and Bucks situation where Tyrese Halliburton was hitting the shots and him and Dane was going back and forth. He said, I could do that too. I could do that too. And he did the the watch thing and whatnot. And Damian Lillard go to the podium, be humble in your moment <laughs> and things like that, which um, I understand. And he did say that, you know, it comes, it comes with the game. So he wasn't mad. He took it as a respect, 
But uh, that was just a funny, that was a funny quote um, to take away from the Dame thing. Be humble in your moment. Um, <laughs> but the championship game. The championship game was refreshing because the Lakers came out like they did in the previous game against the Pelicans. They came out prepared, they came out hungry, and they came out ready as if it were the playoffs. And they won that championship and they won the entire tournament because they seemed like the team that took it the most serious um, as far as preparation. When you come, when you watch how they defended the Indiana Pacers and Tyrese Halliburton to slow him up in that pace that has been so effective all year, and not only just the, the scheming because the, you know Cam Reddish and and Jared Vanderbilt applied full court pressure on Tyrese Halliburton throughout the course of the entire game just to make sure he didn't have those opportunities to have those um, four second buckets after a made shot that they were getting against like the Bucks and whatnot, um, but even Outside of that, the communication, there was a lot of there was a lot of hard hedging on the pick and roll with Tyrese Halliburton from Anthony Davis, which LeBron had to drop to cover the basket and be the back end defender. And as the ball is rotating, that means Anthony Davis now has to run all the way across the court, potentially to replace LeBron's guy now. And that type of communication constantly throughout the course of a 48 minute game against an elite offense, one of the best, the best <laughs> statistically offense we've ever seen in NBA history it takes a lot of communication and that was apparent that was on full display there was times where there was a specific play I remember when Cam Reddish hit a three in the corner and he was doing a celebration or whatever and feel handy you see get up out of his seat like man get back get back you know he's he's getting distracted from the fact that he has to be aware of Tyrese Halliburton 24-7, especially after a May basket. And I see Phil Handy get up and tell him, come on, man, like, stop selling. It, it reminded me a little bit of my dad. When my little brother EJ hits a three, he'll do his little three, whatever they, the kids do these days to celebrate a three. And a lot of time, my dad, he's like, man, get your ass back. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? And that's reminded me of Phil Handy. But Cam Reddish didn't get back. He couldn't get back on Tyrese. It was already too late, but somebody else picked him up. Um... And I've seen a little bit of the video um, on Think of Basketball with Ben Taylor. He, I think he went in depth if you really want to see that. Um, if you don't want to go back and watch the whole game, I understand that. But the rotations were incredible. The communication was incredible. They looked fully prepared. They were prepared. They were on a string as a team. Everybody bought in. I saw Austin Reeves make certain rotations. I seen Jared Vanderbilt make plays. Cam Reddish, obviously. Uh, LeBron was physical. Um D'Angelo Russell had an incredible steal off of a pass that they tried to float over and he stole like everything was really was really great. And then to top it all off, Anthony Davis had one of those stellar performances after we had a conversation on Through the Wire um, about superstars and his name came up and I said, yeah, and I let the other three bully and jump me to change my to change my mind and say, you know, y'all right, y'all right, y'all right. And then he comes out as if he watched the full episode and said, oh, OK, this is what y'all think. You ever seen the Cam Newton meme where he like, it's like, OK, let's go. And that's the type of performance Anthony Davis had. And obviously, when you look at the box score, you're going to see the blocks and then you're going to see 40 points, 20 rebounds. And you're going to be like, man, yeah, he played great. But there is a lot of plays that don't count on the box score that show up in film, you know, the the. 
the ability to be everywhere, to use the length, to be able to play drop coverage on everybody else but Tyrese Halliburton. And then Tyrese Halliburton is doing a pick and roll. Now he's out and he's hard hedging, um, switching. He had a few deflections. He just had his presence be known all around that floor, um, offensively and defensively. And then to be able to go on the other side and produce the way he was, that's the Anthony Davis that people want to see on a night-in-night basis, especially those big-time performances. This is a situation where I feel a little confident for the Lakers and Laker fans. Like, they just shown that they can do it. The only difference is they have to do it against teams that are better than the Pacers. The Pacers are still a newer team. They're still a young team. And they're still a team that isn't as good as some of the teams that the Lakers are going to have to face. This is the type of rotations, the type of communication, the type of locked-inness that they're going to need against a Denver Nuggets type of team. The Denver Nuggets are a team where you have to be on one accord. You have to communicate. And you have to be willing to make the proper rotations at the right time um, on a full string as a team because they're a well-oiled machine. Their star is arguably, if not the best basketball player in the game right now, Nikola Jokic. And the surrounding pieces fit him like a glove with KCP's perimeter shooting, Michael Porter perimeter shooting, the screening from Aaron Gordon and his strength to be able to get dump ins and post ins or mismatches and dunks and lobs. Then you got Jamal Murray who can score with the ball, without the basketball, in the pick and roll with Jokic. He can cut, shoot fall away threes and mid range shot. Like you have to be able to communicate. Um, same thing with a young, hungry OKC Thunder team that's going to have Chet spacing the floor. Shea Gilgis Alexander one on one as a handful. You got the size of Giddy. J Dub can do his thing. The Lakers in the playoffs are going to play some teams that I believe are a smudge better than the Pacers. And there's going to be teams that are a gap better than the Pacers. I would say the Nuggets are a gap better. And I would say the smudge is the OKC Thunder, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and teams like that. So now that we see that they can do it, when it comes to the playoffs and for the rest of the season throughout the current season, do I think they're going to be locked in and have that much preparation and a game plan and a scheme like that? No, because we're getting back into the regular season with game here, game there, game here, game there. But now that you're showing us you're capable, we're going to expect some of that in the playoffs. Please believe I have the Lakers with a little bit more expectation, seeing that they were able to do that, not only against the Pacers, but they did the same thing against the Pelicans and throughout the whole in-season tournament. When those in-season tournament games came, they were ready to play. Phoenix, New Orleans, Indiana, you name it, the Lakers came out ready to play. So, um, again, tip your hat off to them. Tip your hat off to the Pacers, too. The Pacers gave us what we wanted. We all, as a basketball community, uh, outside of the Lakers fan base, I felt like was rooting for the Pacers. They gave us something new, a fresh team that was exciting in that championship game is what all of us was asking for. They handled business up to that point. And even then, to play against a well-oiled machine that has experience uh, and has LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they uh, they fought. They fought as much as they could, and it was it was good. Um, something that has made its own life in that game is the D'Angelo Russell, Bruce Brown situation. Um, a lot of people have been asking and hitting me up about that. I don't think it's too much. It's not that deep. Um, obviously the, uh, the Nuggets swept the Lakers last year and Bruce Brown was on that Nuggets team and that Nuggets team did a lot of talking rightfully. So D'Angelo Russell as a competitor has had Bruce Brown and the Nuggets circled on that calendar, ready to get his what we call get back or revenge. This is a situation where he caught Bruce Brown and he talked his shit. That's what happens. 
I don't think it's nothing more. I don't think it's nothing less. I don't think these two are going to be in the headlock the next time they play against each other. This is the epitome of sports growing up. You're only as good as your last game. I won the last game. I'm going to talk shit. When you won the last game, you talk shit, and we just going to be talking shit people every time we see each other, and it's going to make our matchups more intensified and more serious because we both know that each other is going to talk that talk, so now it's bringing out the best of us. But other than that, I don't think it's too deep. I don't make nothing of it other than just simple basketball competitive chatter that I think you'll see in any league with any two competitive people. Um, But the Lakers do have to understand that you're setting yourself up too. Because D'Angelo Russell can't talk like that and then they go and they get swept again by somebody else or by the Nuggets again. Whether they have Bruce Brown or not, you know, the Lakers are a targeted team already. You're already playing with LeBron James. I don't mind being competitive, but just know what comes with it. The Lakers seem surprised that people talk shit or people was ready to pop their shit. Yeah, like that. Duh, you're the, you're you're the Lakers. This is what happens. The same way if y'all win or when y'all did win, y'all was popping shit. I know D'Lo wasn't on the team that won in the bubble, but best believe if they won last year, the Lakers would have talked a bunch of shit. As soon as LeBron got that shit, he's about damn time. And he, you know what I mean? Like that comes with it. So I don't understand why Lakers players and the organization and the fans sometimes act like they're surprised that people are talking shit. Duh. Like they're not with y'all, man. They're not, they're not with y'all. Um, moving on to something else before we dive into the mailbag. A clip surfaced on social media. I don't know if it was his own podcast. Um, I don't know if he was on a, on somebody else's podcast, but a clip of Austin Rivers came out when he was saying um, he believes that there is no face of the franchise after LeBron James, and he broke it down, and I was I was fully intrigued. And right now I'm looking up for my audio listeners. I'm looking up. Okay, it's called Off Guard. It's a podcast via the Ringer. So shout out to the off guard or off guard via the ringer. I don't know whose podcast that is, but I gave them their shout out because that's where it came from. So on this particular podcast, they're going back and forth. And the quote is this. We're still relying on LeBron to be the face of the league. There are things that LeBron, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant could do just from an awe standpoint that we don't have. And to go even further, he was just basically saying when Michael Jordan was exiting the game you had Kobe Bryant right there ready to take the baton and be the face of the NBA then as Kobe exited it was in great hands with LeBron and throughout throughout that course of those years you have other guys as well like Kevin Durant Steph Curry um but now those guys are older they're in their mid to late 30s and he's saying they're still the ones we're relying on to be in the championship conversation, to carry the league, to be the excitement for the league. And he's saying guys have talent. It's not that guys aren't good basketball players. Jason Tatum is a good basketball player. Luka is a good basketball player. You know, uh, Giannis, I don't know if I don't know if I heard him mention Giannis or Jokic, but he's saying these guys are good basketball players, but some of these other guys, when we talk about the next faces of the league, they have to start winning because like the championship conversation is and has been those still older guys. Now, he wasn't saying it's impossible. 
He wasn't saying they can't. He was just saying that we rely too much on these guys who are kind of more on they're on their last they're on the last legs of their careers. And I agree with them. I know some people are going to look at that quote and have mixed feelings. Some people are going to be like, but man, Luka is phenomenal. Jason Tatum is phenomenal. What about Jokic and Giannis? And I'm glad he clarified and said, man, those guys are talented. They have game. Again, he didn't speak on Jokic or Giannis, but yeah, I don't really, I, I don't, I under, I agree with him in the fact of Nikola Jokic is a great basketball player and he does phenomenal things and he's going to be an all-time great. But yeah, he doesn't have these awe the awe factor that some of the faces of the league that we've accustomed to have had. And I don't think that that's a slight because Austin Rivers played with Jokic. I think he could tell you as good as anybody how good he is. But yeah, when you sit around and you really think about it, when you talk about the face of the NBA, the face, you think about Steph Curry, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, like think about those guys and that, that, those names, Kevin Durant, Shaquille O'Neal, like, yeah, who who are those guys? You have guys that you think, but like, is there? Do we have somebody that's ready to walk in what LeBron is leaving? And I'm not trying to put the, I'm not trying to make it too big of shoes to fill because they're big shoes. But hell, when Michael left, you don't think that those was big shoes? Kobe was the closest thing to Mike. You don't think those was big shoes? It's always gonna be big shoes when you talk about the face of the NBA. You know what I mean? Do we even have somebody who can step in the shoes of a Kevin Durant or Steph Curry? We we don't see it yet. There isn't a young player that's like dominating and 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 you know we've seen certain stretches like Jokic is having. Jokic is probably the most arguable guy, but again, when he said that awe, a w e, I'm in awe. That factor, I think we all can agree on a night by night basis. Jokic leaves you in awe from a number standpoint. Like, man, I cannot believe this dude had 17, 18 rebounds with 16 assists. But, like, I don't know if you watch Jokic and, like, man, I cannot believe he just jumped and did. Like, I, I, I don't know. But it was a very good question. And even Jokic, um, even if you want to use Jokic, that's fine. But, you know, he's like one guy. Um, Giannis is going to be there, and then everybody else is kind of like projections. You know what I mean? They're kind of just projections. And when you look at these guys, you know, you have to ask that question if they're going to be able to sustain it for for that length of time. Like, it's going to be interesting to see Giannis progress as a basketball player when he ages. You know what I'm saying? So um, that was just fascinating. I would love to hear some of y'all takes and feedbacks in the comments about that. That's something that I think I might even bring to Through the Wire that's a discussion based thing um because I, I i agree with some of it but i again i do think that when i think more and more about Jokic, it's like hmm but i understand when you say face of the nba that ain't even some shit Jokic wants that ain't even some shit Jokic would want on him he don't even want to be the face of the nba you know what i'm saying he do what he do and then he gone um and then when you talk about Giannis, it's like Giannis is Giannis is Giannis. he's phenomenal but Giannis is a michael jordan Giannis isn't LeBron James and Giannis isn't Kobe Bryant. He's not. He's not. I'm just being I'm just being honest. He's just he's not at least not yet. Um, And then after that, you got a bunch of guys who are really, really, really good. But we're still waiting on those moments in that year in, year out. Like these dudes, Kobe, Mike, LeBron, like you look at them to be in a championship constantly. 
Like they're in a constant conversation of getting championships and winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. And I know LeBron was losing. Um, and even Steph, like that's a kind of like these guys are championship or bust type guys when they're on certain teams. So um I definitely want to I definitely want to see somebody step into that light. Interesting conversation and topic just to think about and discuss. I don't think there has to be a wrong or right answer. It's just I love I love progression, you know, uh, progressive basketball talk. I've always highlighted that and put that a part of me and what I'm about and heliocentric. And I think that's one of those topics that is progressive. You know, it, it ain't to necessarily tear players down. He, Austin Rivers wasn't saying any of those guys can't be that face that they won't be or that they're not good basketball players. He talked positively about all of them, but he just compared it to the situation of, you know, we're looking at LeBron still carry the NBA as a conversational topic at this age. We're still looking at Steph Curry the same way. Still looking at Kevin Durant the same way. Which one of these young guys is going to come and enter that conversation and be ready to be to be the face of the NBA once those guys get out because we're still looking at them for the conversation and for competing for championships. So um, really, really good conversation I think could be had with that. Um, and then the last thing that I'm going to bring up before we dive into the mailbag, I know everybody is waiting to see if they made it or whatnot and the type of questions that we have. Um, Gilbert Arena said Clay hasn't, hasn't improved his game, which was conversational as well. Um, I don't know if it was if it was as progressive because I think there is a negative connotation that comes with not improving and that could be taken. And I don't I don't know if Gilbert Arenas is purposely trying to disrespect Clay Thompson or um, I don't know if Clay Thompson is going to take it that way. But the direct quote on uh, Gil's arena. He was talking to Xavier Tillman, and I believe the conversation was about Desmond Bain, who y'all know I love. I love Desmond Bain. And Gilbert Arena is just saying Desmond Bain has improved his game, and he's saying someone like Clay never improved to me. You came in as a spot shooter, and even though you have four rings, you're still a spot shooter. This is another conversation that I think would be better with more voices um, than just myself on a solo podcast because – there's an argument that Clay Thompson definitely improved in certain areas. Um, defensively, Clay Thompson at his prime defended at a way that I don't think anyone projected him to be able to defend. He was their guy that they put on the other team's best players. They put him on Russell Westbrooks and James Hardens and you know what I'm saying? Like the Kyrie Irvins. I don't think when you draft Clay, the year that you drafted him out of Washington State. I don't think that that was on a thing of, hey, you'll you'll be able to put him on the other team's best player. I do not think that that was there. So I think he improved in that standpoint. There I saw with some people that said there's an argument that, hey, if he improved as a spot shooter, that's still an improvement. You know, he may not have improved and had a killer crossover or off the dribble like, uh, you know, Steph or, or Kyrie or anything. But he improved steadily on what he was already good at. That's still technically an improvement. Um I kind of understand the point that Gilbert is making, but what I would say to argue against it is Clay Thompson was in a situation where he bought into his role, and that's what we always ask of players. And this is why we can can, can get a little too contradictory or or face – I don't even know if that's a word, but we can contradict ourselves a lot in basketball. So you're playing with St- Steph Curry. You're playing with Draymond Green. 
Who's to say that Clay didn't work on his game and improve certain things? But because of the team he was on, there was never a need for that. There was never a need for Clay Thompson to be like, watch out. Let me get this isolation, especially after the arrival of Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was a guy that was eliminating some of that out of his game to fit in with the entire offense. This is one of the best dynasty teams ever. There's an argument that it wouldn't have made that much sense for Klay Thompson to, quote unquote, go and work on his game and add a bunch of shit and come in and say, watch out, Steph. Watch out, KD. Watch out, Dre. I got this because look what I worked on. There's an argument that he didn't work on it, but he was always a part of a team in a role that it wasn't necessary, which is why they had a dynasty. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think there's value in that. I think when you look at somebody like Desmond Bain, he's on a team and he's in a role that needed growth. Yeah, Desmond Bain came in as a spot shooter and he steadily added and added and added because the Grizzlies need that. They needed him to be a spot shooter at first, but then it's like, oh, we need more offense. We need somebody next to Ja who can create their own shot, who can catch and shoot and play off of Ja, who can go for 30 on their own, and he's grown into that. Klay Thompson, because of who he plays with, I don't think that that would ever been that. Now, if Klay Thompson had left the Warriors and he went to Sacramento or wherever and he was doing the same exact shit, on a team that was a lot worse and then he was the quote unquote star and face of that team. You know, we see that where guys leave and say, I need my own team, man. I'm gonna go get my own team because I want y'all to see how I'm really I can do this without uh the stars around me. And he was playing the same exact way. Then you have that conversation. Then you say, damn, he he's still playing the same way he did when he was next to, to, to Steph. He's been next to Steph his entire career, and I never thought that there was ever a need for Clay Thompson to play any different than right now. Because the Warriors just aren't that good um, as they used to be. And it looks like the Steph show. And if anybody ain't doing anything around Steph, he's the only person that can kind of create something for himself. It looks bad. But this is Klay Thompson after all of those injuries. This is Klay Thompson um, in his 30s. And I think that's more of a result than, man, he wasn't working on his game. I think it's kind of he's past his prime a little bit, and this is what happens. This is why LeBron James got to that podium and said, I'm trying to give Father Time his first loss. I kind of think it's unfair to look at him if Gilbert Arenas is basing it all off the current state of the Warriors because it does look bad over there at certain times if it has anything to do with anybody outside of Steph Curry. But I don't think this is a reflection. You know what I'm saying? I don't think this is a reflection. I think this could be injuries. This could be age, and this could be familiarity to a specific role that he's always been placed into. Um, And, you know, I think that conversation would be a little bit better for me if it was a 50-50 thing where, yeah, you give some of the blame to Klay Thompson if that's how you feel, but you also give some of the blame to the environment and the team structure where they never put Klay Thompson in any position to do anything outside of what he does. I'm just being real. It ain't to save Klay. He's a grown-ass man. He's a four-time champion. He don't need me to save him. He's a Hall of Famer. But... I just think that that's a little that, that that's a stretch. I think that's an over exaggerated point to say he never improved. He might not have improved in a way that Gilbert Arenas wanted him to. He may not have improved in the areas that Gilbert Arenas wanted him to improve in. But you, it's hard to say that Clay Thompson didn't improve because again, just from the defense aspect alone of prime Clay Thompson, that's a huge improvement because I'm a guy who watched him at Washington State. Could always shoot. Could always score uh, within the flow. He did that in a Pac-10, which was it was a Pac-10 at the time. Um, and I knew he was going to be able to do that in the NBA. I didn't see the defense. I didn't see the defense at all. So that in itself is an improvement. And 
he improved. He even improved it with that same skill set. Klay Thompson in year six is not Klay Thompson from year one or two. It's just not. It's not. It's at a higher level. It's at a more threatening level. Um, game six, Clay, he was not able to do shit like that in, in year three or year two. It's just not. It doesn't it doesn't happen. So he definitely improved. Um, but I kind of can see the fact that Gilbert Arenas is saying he's kind of the same player. I think, again, there's value in that, especially when you're on a team that's winning. There, there's a lot of guys that I think that's the part where you get contradicting a little bit because there are certain guys that you see try to add to their game and come back and do shit that the team don't need. How many guys have we seen a part of teams that, you know, maybe young and trying to put it together and it's like, oh, I'm worked on this. And it's like, I don't know if that's what the team need, though. I don't know if that's what we need right now. You know what I'm saying? I think we may need you to be a little bit more on this. Imagine if Draymond Green came in and was like, yeah, I'm finna shoot more. Like, I'm finna, I need ISOs and shit because I worked on that, Steve Kerr. It would be like, ah, we we, we don't need that. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep keep being that defensive Swiss Army knife who can create plays um, as, a, as a playmaker on the offensive end with our shooter, Steph and Clay. But if Draymond, if we heard that Draymond came in one of those years and was like, I need 14 shots a game now and I need an isolation each quarter or I need three isolations throughout the course of the game, we would have been like, who the hell does he think he is? And if he came and said, man, I improved, we would still have been like, you sound crazy. So I just think that that's where it can be a little contradiction. I think there's value in knowing who you are, knowing what you bring to the team and being a star in that role. We talk about that phrase a lot in basketball, collegiate high school, youth, NBA, being a star in your role is important. I think Klay Thompson made a career out of that. And um, I don't want us to diminish it by saying he didn't improve because if we're being fact for fact, he fucking improved. Um, Much love to Gilbert Arenas, though, and Klay Thompson. Um, Now, with that in the rear view, 33 minutes into the podcast, we now can dive into the mailback. I want to give a special shout out to everybody who um, replied to the tweet. If you don't know, if you know, for whatever reason, follow me on at, at Twitter, um, at Pee on Twitter at Pee the Plug. Whenever I do a mailbag thing or um, I figure out something to implement questions on each podcast, y'all make sure y'all follow me on Twitter so y'all can be a part of that. Um, shout out to KB too. Apparently, KB is doing a mailbag or he did, and we're both doing one. <laughs> so shout out to all the people that was involved in both, and shout out to KB man. Actually. KB texted me and told me some news. He told me, he's my source. He told me that Zach Levine has played his last game as a bull. That's straight from King of the Fourth Quarter. He, he's my source. He told me that that's the information that he got. He has an inside source. Um, so credit KB to that. If it ends up being false, we know he's not a reliable source. Anyway, the first question that we have in the mailbag is from Mango. And he says, what do you think the general discourse about the in-season tournament will be in 15 years? Do you think it will stand as a respectable event in the sport or be seen as a gimmick over time? Um, Mango, I think it has a chance to be respected. And the reason I'm going to tell you this is because of hindsight. And I was thinking about this the other day. Earlier on in the in-season tournament, I was rooting for underdogs. Like, I wanted the championship to be Pelicans and Pacers. Young players, 
offense, dunking some new fresh names. It's not a Steph Curry or LeBron or Durant involved in it or Giannis or anything involved in it because we've seen those guys in a play. Like, let's get some new energy, some some breath of fresh air. You know what I'm saying? But looking back on that, that may have been the wrong thing. That may have been the wrong thing. And the reason is, is because those players never won the actual real thing. So I don't know if those players would have brought it in and celebrated and been welcoming to the idea of going all out on a celebration because it's just the in-season tournament. But I think having somebody like LeBron James and an organization as prestigious as the Lakers win the first one and watching them pop champagne, watching them be exciting, and they did it in a way where I felt like it was just enough. They didn't go overboard as if they wanted Larry O'Brien, but they also weren't nonchalant and acting too cool for school like it wasn't shit. They were right there in the middle where they celebrated enough, they competed, they popped champagne, they answered questions, they held the trophy. I think everything they did was enough. And that is going to make people respect it because you saw the Lakers get up. You saw LeBron hit that switch. You saw them be willing to celebrate on a stage and everybody's holding it. You talk, you see that everybody's breaking down the the percentage increase of money that the players who are on one-year deals or two ways or the rookies, you see that. So I think that's a good first start because I do think if the Pelicans win it, do we think those guys are comfortable enough or are they afraid that everybody on social media is going to be like, man, look at them acting like they just won a championship. You know, LeBron don't care. He's the ambassador, face of the league. He don't care about none of that shit. But these younger players may be like, "Uh, I ain't going to do too much because I don't know how it's going to be perceived. But the fact that the Lakers did it, they showed that it's okay to get excited. It's okay to get up. It's okay to take it serious. Hopefully, that creates a trickle-down effect. So next year, we have some hungriness. We have some people that's looking forward. And I think having somebody like LeBron be the first to do it, it sets it it as a, a thing. If LeBron takes it serious... It's respected and it should be taken serious. So um, I can't speak on what it will be over the next 15 years because there we could have three good years of this and there could be one year where teams decide we're not taking it. We're not taking it serious. And then the next 12 years, they just don't take it serious. So I don't know how anything is going to be for the next 15 15 years ago. If you asked me about All-Star Weekend, I've been like, hell, yeah, this is always going to be the most exciting time of the season. Now, as a grown man who used to as a kid get up and playing around All-Star Weekend. I love being able to go as a media person, but the last few years haven't been what I've been accustomed of of it being as a kid. So, I don't I, it's hard to predict predict anything 15 years from now, but I definitely don't think it's a gimmick. I definitely don't think it's a gimmick. Anytime you can turn NBA basketball into playoff environment when it's not the playoffs, it's not a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. Um next we got Zeus Zeus asked two questions. I'm going to use the second one. He says, if you were an NBA coach, what would be your coaching philosophy or style? Really good question, Zeus. Um, My philosophy would be to use what I have. And what I mean by that is I never for the life of me can understand at any level, whether it's the NBA, college, high school, youth basketball. I never understand coaches who have certain philosophies and they die on those hills no matter who is on that roster. So I think great coaches adjust to what they have. If I am a coach whose philosophy is we got to get threes up, we got to shoot X amount of threes a game. If I walk into a team that don't have a roster full of three-point shooters, I'm adjusting that philosophy. 
I'm adjusting our style of play because obviously I don't want to try to lead the league in threes with a team that can't shoot threes. But you have certain coaches whose philosophy is that, and they know they don't have three-point shooters, and yet they still try to implement it. I want to play small ball. You don't have any anybody who has a skill set that can go into play small ball. You don't have that on the roster, but it's like, I'm going to play it anyway, and it fails. You know what I mean? You have teams who are trying to be super defensive, but they don't have the tools and the players that you know mirror that defensive style that they want. And I've played for coaches like that. I've seen coaches like that, and I never understand it for the life of me why you would try to have a fast-paced offensive team with a roster full of guys that don't fit that scheme. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, trying and seeing if it can work is one thing, but being fully committed to that philosophy, knowing you don't have the proper personnel to match it, is mind-blowing. So that's the first thing. My philosophy would be to create a system or create a style that is complementary to to my personnel. So if my best player is a two-way, you know, is a two-way player, then that's what we're going to be. We're going to be a really good team who can defend and we're going to be a good enough offense. If my team is built around Rudy Gobert, we're going to be a defensive crazy team. You know what I'm saying? Like like the Jazz, like we're going to hang our hat on that. You know what I'm saying? Like that that's what it would be. If my team was small like then yeah we're going to you we're going to basically take our strengths whatever they are and we're going to rely on that we're going to create our dynamic of a team around what our main strengths are we're probably going there and we'll me and my coaching staff will look at the three strengths and three weaknesses that we have and we're going to lay our hat on those strengths and we're going to try to find a way to maximize those weaknesses to be maybe not weaknesses but like um indifferent to where it's not really a weakness, but it's not a strength. It's just neutral. You know what I'm saying? It can't hurt us. So that would be my thing. And my style, my style would probably be uh, def- aggressive defense. I believe that, like, as offensive players and as a team offensively, we all know things that we hate. We all know things that make us uncomfortable. It's like, man, I hope they ain't doing this today. Oh, man, I hate when they do it. We know that. You know what makes basketball players uncomfortable as a basketball player yourself. So on the defensive end, we are going to do all of the things that make offensive players uncomfortable. We're going to guard you 94 feet. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to be physical. We're going to touch you. You're going to you're going to, you're going to fill us. You're going to know that the next day we play it against yada, yada, yada. And we're going to be unpredictable. You know, the whole first quarter, you may be able to get this pass off. You know, we're going to say, hey, give them that pass the whole first quarter. Let them think that that's there. And then in the second half, as soon as you the, the game is getting tight or the fourth quarter, you think that that pass is there, it's no longer there. And we baited you for three quarters for this fourth quarter moment to think that that pass was there and it's not. It's not anymore. Or out of nowhere, the corner gets trapped. You know what I mean? Like, just just simple things like that. So, um Really, really good question. I think there's a lot of philosophies and a lot of styles to have in the NBA as far as a coaching perspective. And I think that's why it's beautiful. But I think you see even more of that in college, which is why I always voice that y'all should be watching college basketball. Because when you talk about coaching philosophies and coaching styles, there's no place where there's more um, there's more different philosophies and styles um, than college basketball, in my opinion. It's very diverse down there. Or uh, there. Next, we have BD Drip 1K. Shout out to my guy BD Drip 1K. Always showing love on Twitter. He asks, 
Do you think the Pacers should make a trade for a star at the deadline or wait to sign someone this free agency? They should definitely make a trade this 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 season. Um, I think it will be a, a, a disservice to themselves in the year that they've been having if they don't attempt to make a move. Now, it comes with limits. If there is a move that they want to make, but the team that they're trying to make it with is just being you know, insane as far as what they want in return, they definitely don't shoot yourself in the foot for uh, instant gratification because they're definitely not going to win a championship. And I don't see a trade. Like, we keep seeing the OG Ananobi thing. If they get OG Ananobi, I think that would be really, really good for them. But I don't look at them as a championship team off of that trade. So regardless, if the Raptors start to ask for too much, I think you say, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. But if there's a, 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 you know, a situation where you could get him or Pascal and it's not it's not something that will, you know, have you shooting yourself in the foot, as I'm saying, then I think you fully commit to that and you go in because this team is, this team has earned that support from the front office and ownership to say we're willing to invest and do anything we can do. And when you look at the perimeter def- defense, that's all they really missing is an OG on an OB that they can say, hey, go guard him. That's really all they're missing. So I would say yes. But again, I'm not against waiting if it means you don't have to give up too much because there is a such thing as giving up too much. We've seen it before. And um, when you're in a situation like them, it's important to not do that. But uh, definitely should be aggressive buyers. Um, Man, my guy Kakashi Sensei, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. His at name is Nerdy Dex. He says, do you think there's ever been a role player slash team situation that's ever been as perfect for each other as the Warriors and Dre? I don't think Dre, Dre would have ever been as effective on another team, but also don't think the Warriors are at their highest. At their highest would have been them without him. Conversation that has come up a lot around Draymond Green. Could he be as valuable to another team as he is to the Warriors? And also, would the Warriors be the Warriors without him? Um... I think I I think so. And the one I'm going to give you, it may not be to the same degree off top in your mind, but I think the Chicago Bulls with Scottie Pippen. Um, there's this argument that you always hear from anybody that's older. Man, Scottie could have done this and done that. He would have been bigger if he wasn't in Jordan's shadow or whatever. And that may be true. If Scottie had his own team, he may would have showed more and maybe, you know, whatever. But what would that have gotten him? Would we even remember him the way that we do? Would we talk about Scottie Pippen like we do? Or would he would have just made two more two extra all-star games? Because he wasn't it wasn't like he didn't win anything. He won championships. He was a perennial all-star. Um, you know, one of the top defensive players in history. Like I I don't get what was out what other accolades or accomplishments were out there with not being with the Bulls. So when I hear people say that, he could have been this, he could have been better, because you hear that a lot. I'm sure a lot of y'all have heard that growing up. I'm like, what? what is there he could have got? He won championships, you got personal accolades, All-Star had his own shoe with Nike. What else is out there? Without that, he might has less. He might is not on, He might not be on that stage to, to show all of that. You know what I mean? He might be in somebody else's shadow. Or he might be on a team where, yeah, he is the guy. Maybe he plays for the Sixers in the 90s and he is the guy. But what does that lead to him? Some early playoff exits? Because that's all. When you look around the NBA at that time in Jordan's era, it's just a bunch of guys who lost against Jordan. You know what I mean? From the 90s, the Bulls won six of them. Six of them. And Jordan left to go play baseball and things like that. And that gave some other teams some opportunities. But Stockton and Malone, they don't have a ring. 
And they were on, they were really, really good. Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, don't have a ring. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there's a lot of people from that time that just don't have that. Cha- Reggie Miller doesn't have a championship. Patrick Ewing, no championship. We can go on and on. Scottie Pippen probably would have just been another one of those guys who was like, man, he was good, but he couldn't get past Jordan. So I, I, I think it may not be exactly what you think with Draymond, but I think that's one of the most perfect ones in my mind. Like, I don't, and I don't know if the Bulls are as the Bulls. You don't doubt Michael Jordan, six and zero, found 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 a way, always finding a way. But um, I think they needed each other much more than a conversation presents itself. You know what I'm saying? Jordan needed Pippen, Pippen needed the Bulls and Jordan, and it all worked out to be six championships. But they never lost when they made it to the finals. They never lost when they made it to the finals. And the year they didn't have Jordan, they didn't win a championship. You know what I'm saying? And the years prior. To Pippen arrival, the Bulls weren't winning championships. So it's all something that needs each other, but you hear a certain conversation. So I would say Scottie Pippen. I would definitely say Scottie Pippen. The reason I wouldn't say Dennis Robin, because some people are going to probably say, man, what about Den-? Dennis Robin won a championship without the Bulls, and the Bulls won without him. So um, yeah. The next one comes from Piper Griffin. Shout out to my boy Piper Griffin 8. Any coaches you see on track being fired midseason? Hell yeah. I mean, that goal, you, you know that answer. The, look at the Washington Wizards and how they're playing basketball. You tell me if that looks like a coach that is comfortably in his job. Look at the even the Pistons with the Monty Williams situation. I had somebody ask me in this in this mailbag, do I think Monty is losing games on purpose to be fired so he can get the rest of his money? Like, that's how bad they're playing. And I think even with getting that new money and signing a new contract, I don't think his job is safe. He might get an extra year so it don't look as bad. But hell, if it was up to me, I probably would have to I would have to look over that midway in the season if this continues. You know what I mean? Depending on how far this goes, I think you got to really look at that if you're Detroit. Um, who else is at the bottom of the standings? Um, obviously, Coach Pop ain't going nowhere um, at all. But yeah, I think you look around the league and there's definitely some teams where you're like, huh. Eh, I think the Cavaliers are a team that if they don't reach their fullest potential, that conversation may come up. It may come up. Not saying it's going to, but it may come up. Um, who else do we have? I feel like there's a couple other teams that I'm not thinking of out west, so I'm going to check my standards in front of me. So you got the Pistons, Wizards, the Hornets, I guess. They ain't too bad. Um, maybe Chauncey. I, man, my dad on the phone was asking me if Steve Kerr, do I think Steve Kerr job is safe? Um, so I don't know, but I definitely think there's a handful of coaches that we could potentially see. And I think that goes without, without question, really. Um, next we got Brian or Barris. I hope I'm saying that right. Brian or Barris. Okay. Would you rather choose to build around a star player with a high floor, but without superstar potential or high ceiling, but with a bust risk easily? easily i'm building around a star player with a high floor but i know he won't reach superstar potential i'm fine with that player you know what i mean like i I think the magic are in a good situation where they're at because they took franz wagner you know what i mean like every pick that you have doesn't have to be this high potential guy who can change the game and he's gonna be the best since this nah it's nothing it's value in just getting really good basketball players um, I seen the Lakers do it and it, it, it turned into them trading for Anthony Davis. Um, 
You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it always has to be. I, I like that because I know I know I'm getting something. Now, I think there's no worse feeling than drafting for potential or drafting, even if it ain't for potential and a guy just don't pan out at all. He don't give you nothing. There is nothing you can do with that. And it's a top 10 pick. Hell no. I need somebody that I know at the least this dude is a starter. He's a maybe an all-star level player. Even if he never technically makes a team, he's an all-star level player. I'm taking that. I'm ta- I, I have to get something out of this situation. So I'm, I'm always taking a star player with a high floor but without superstar potential. Always. Because the worst thing you can do, we've seen it, is draft that high ceiling, but he don't pan out. Oh, man, that look bad. That look bad. Now you got to rebuild inside of the rebuild. But like I said before, even before they got Paolo, the Magic were, Franz was doing his thing. And no, I don't think anybody looked at Franz as a MVP candidate who's going to change the game and carry the Magic to the finals. But there was value in getting a guy who was just a really good basketball player. It got them that much closer. And then, boom, they end up stumbling upon the number one pick. And you got Paolo. And now they look like, you know, they look incredible. So, I'm always taking that that player over the highest ceiling with but high risk bust potential. Um, this comes from Austin. Austin Alkir. I hope I'm pronouncing these names right, y'all. Um, what do you think will be the next evolution in building an NBA roster? We've seen the growing importance placed on having shooters. The NFL shows a decrease in the value of running backs. The NHL is trending towards smaller players with more speed and skill. What's next for the NBA? Now, the thing that I think is next for the NBA is kind of a cycle. It's coming back. It's bringing back. You know, like when we went from baggy clothes to when I was growing up to everybody was wearing fitted and or not even fitted, but wearing tight shit. Then it went to like just properly sized stuff. And now it's going back to baggy and it'll just keep reinventing itself then and then. In the 2000s, they wanted to get away from the 90s. Then after a decade of the 2000s, or almost two decades in the 2000s, it's like, let's get back to some of the uh, 90s flavor. Like, we want to bring some of that back. We want to retro it. Um, the NBA is getting back to traditional basketball. And what I mean by traditional basketball, I mean you have a point guard, a shooting guard, a wing, a power forward, and a center. Like, it's getting back to that. We were so thrown into positionless basketball, small ball, uh, pace and space. But now when I look around, I'm like, teams are getting closer and closer back to regular lineups. And there's always going to be exceptions. There's always going to be anomalies and different things like that and philosophies that different teams want to apply. But for the most part, I think there's a lot more traditional teams than there used to be five years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like you look at a lot of these front courts, there's a lot of power forward and centers. The Knicks, my team, Julius Randle is a power forward. He's not a small forward. He's not a small ball five. He's a power forward, and he plays in the front court next to Mitchell Robinson. Evan Mobley is a power forward next to Jared Allen. You have uh, Giannis is a power forward next to Brooke Lopez. You know what I'm saying? Like we're getting that to me is traditional. Jabari Smith Jr. is a power forward next to Shingun. Aaron Gordon next to Jokic. There's a lot of power forward and center front courts that I think kind of line back up to natural traditional basketball because the power four position was the position that was kind of getting lost in these new forms of basketball because everybody was trying to take shooting guards and small forwards and throw them down the line shooting guards became small forwards and small forwards became power forwards and power forwards kind of became tweeners 
or small ball fives or, you know what I'm saying, things like that. But I think it's getting a lot more traditional with the two big front courts that kind of got lost in the shuffle. You know what I'm saying? They really got lost in the shuffle. And I think teams are going to still try to put small forwards at the four um, to create advantages with speeds and matchups and different things like that. But I think we're getting more and more. I think today, today's league probably has more traditional front courts and lineups than it did four years ago. No doubt in my mind. Keegan Murray, Sabonis, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, there's just there, there's a lot more of that versus we're gonna have one big and we're gonna put four guards around him, and we're gonna put a one guard and one big, and everybody else is a wing. You know what I'm saying? I think it's getting a little bit more to back to traditional basketball, and teams are prioritizing size more than speed and shooting. Definitely emphasis on space, but I think teams are willing to give up a little bit more on spacing to have that size to clean the glass and close out possessions and, you know, being able to protect the rim. Um, it takes some, it takes some emphasis on being able to have those long rangey mobile fours who can guard in a pick and roll and guard the perimeter and the interior. And those are becoming high value players. Those versatile fours that can do a little bit of everything, but traditional sized, tough, Lineups are coming back, in my opinion. Next, Ryan Hathaway. Do you value defensive versatility more as an ability to guard one through five like Bam or Draymond or rim protection like Gobert? Um, I really think it depends on my team. It doesn't matter, you know, having a shot. We've seen with Rudy. His elite defensive uh, talent didn't matter on certain Utah Jazz teams because nobody else can guard a lick in front of them. So, um that definitely plays a part. I'm always into defensive versatility. I think there's just extreme value, especially in today's game where we're trying to hunt for three-point shots and there's pick and roll and constant moving and intricate offenses and everybody has the green light to shoot. I think the versatility of being able to guard inside and out, being able to switch um, is incredibly valuable. Um, and playing good defense is underrated. I know steals and shot blocked is always like the highlighted defensive plays but I think there's nothing better than being able to just lock up a team and stopping them from going anywhere they want to go for 22 out of the 24 seconds and closing it out with a rebound and you know that there's a reason why those two guys that you name for the versatility their teams have been in the finals and one of them has jury and Rudy is still trying to find his way there and hopefully he can get there with the Minnesota Timberwolves because they've been actually uh, phenomenal on the defensive side of the basketball this year, but it's still yet to be seen. So give me the defensive versatility. Um, but in a proper situation, I think nothing is wrong with having a true rim protector like Rudy. Um, next, we got shooter shoot. Do you think the Dallas Mavericks is one trade away from being in title contention? I mean, potentially, potentially. It just depends on what the move is. If they get Kyle Kuzman, they'll be a really, really good team. But, you know, it would really depend on the version of Luka they get in the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Like, Luca, we know is going to be phenomenal, but is Luca going to be out of this world? I'm dragging us. I'm taking us there. I'm playing as good as two people. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's going to be the thing. Kyrie's health is going to be a thing. Hopefully, he bounces back from what we saw a couple nights ago. Um, anything is possible, but when you look at the rest of the West, there is such a big gap. But again, that's what I'm saying. If Luca can just go on a magical run, then yeah. You know, if you add Kyle Kuzma, I think this team is um, a Luka magic run away from being able to be 
fighting for a title. But on just a paper standpoint, he may be a couple moves away, if I'm being completely honest. Um, Edwin Varys Jr. Curious, what are your thoughts on a possible giddy trade scenario? Minutes have been reduced heavily, bad shooting, recent accusations, and OKC looks to have locked in their core. This is a conversation that's come up time and time again on Through the Wire, where when you have to when you have to start making those decisions on who's getting that money. Money always comes into into factor, and we talked about the stipulations with the cap and second apron and different things like that. We know Shea, big money guy. Chet is looking like a big money guy. J Dub is gonna have to get paid handsomely. You gave Lou Dora some money, and now what? You so you can't pay everybody. You can't pay Chet big boy money, Shea big boy money. Um, Dort got paid handsomely, and then Giddy and Jay. That's you know, like it don't work like that. So the odd man out for me would be Giddy. Um, so I'm not opposed to it, but as of right now in the current state, who wants Giddy, and what are they getting? And I don't think OKC has to rush to make that decision until the time comes. You know, Chet ain't gonna be due for the extension for what another two seasons, I would think. Same with maybe J Dub. So there is no rush to make those decisions until you have to. But uh, when it is time to make that decision, if I had anybody to guess out of that core who would be the odd man out, it would definitely be Josh Giddy. It would definitely be because Shea Gilders Alexander can run the point and you can replace Giddy with somebody that has size and shooting. Hell, you may can even just throw in Isaiah Joe and everything should be cool because you have Shea, you have Chet, and then you have J-Dub as that nucleus. And then the rest should just be high skillful uh, role players who can fit like Dort and whatnot. So, um yeah, I don't expect it no time soon, but I definitely think that there will be a time where they have to make um, make a decision. So we'll look into that as the time comes. Which NBA player's career will be looked upon more favorably as time go on? There's a couple that come to my mind instantly. I mean, you have to look at Russell Westbrook, um, polarizing, but some of the things that he's done, we still have. We, we it, Who knows when the next time we'll see, it, especially from the point guard position. Um, I think when you look at how he handled Kevin Durant leaving and keeping OKC and his heart on his back, that was like, man, that was, you know, you can't do anything but salute that. That was inspiring. You know what I mean? Like they they kept pushing. He kept fighting. He didn't run from that. He went into MVP mode, triple doubles. Very, very, you know, entertaining. And at that moment, just something different. And I think as time go on and him being a scapegoat on the Lakers and some of the other fits and bouncing around. It's been a hard fit, you know what I mean? But if we just go back and take that part of his career, which is the peak part of his career, I think you can stack that against a lot of other people. And the only thing he was missing was the ring, but none of us expected that because he was champion from keeping that team afloat as Kevin Durant exited. Also, James Harden. James Harden went toe-to-toe with Goliath on the Houston Rockets, and he put up video game numbers and Averaging 36 and 60-point triple-doubles and game-winning shots here, game-winning shots there. Um, You know, as an isolation player at the top of the key, knowing he's going to do a step back, knowing exactly what he's trying to do, and still being able to manipulate defenses and take that Rockets team to to the the, the brink of history. You know what I mean? And they had some very unfortunate circumstances of not being able to beat the Warriors, like the Chris Paul injury, not being able to hit a three for, um, you know, for a while in one of those games, the closeout game. Um, those are things that, man, it, it hurts when you look back, but that was a moment. And when, when his career is done, we'll be able to focus in on that 
and not so much of these last few years of him bouncing around and requesting trades from here, requesting trades from there. You know what I'm saying? Um, who else is a career? Um, I feel like sometimes we take Kevin Durant for granted because he did leave and went to Golden State, and that was a big cloud in the air for a while. But, like, we haven't seen anything close to him. And as, as, as much as he is used as a comparison for so many different guys that come into the league, man, there's nothing like Kevin Durant. It really isn't. So, I, you know, I think his career is going to we're going to look back and realize just how good he was because a lot of his career, it was spent on him being hated on. Um, I think the same thing with LeBron. There was so much time in LeBron's career when he left and he went to the Heat that everybody just wanted to root against him. And there was so much hatred there that your energy was taken away from just appreciating exactly what we had. And I feel like as soon as these guys start to exit, we'll realize, oh, shit, there ain't nobody like Kevin Durant. And ain't nobody coming around for a while. You can talk about certain names. I ain't trying to hear that shit. Double guys ain't like Kevin Durant. Ain't nobody in this motherfucker like LeBron James. You know what I'm saying? I think, you know, even Chris Paul. So much chatter about, man, Chris Paul ain't a winner. Chris Paul Chris Paul is a winner. He just hasn't won the thing. He doesn't have a championship. But Chris Paul has won in this league way more than he's lost. You know what I'm saying? Like way more. It's not even close. That was the same thing with Carmelo that I didn't understand. I think for the first 10 to 11 years of his NBA career, Carmelo made the playoffs. He was a winning player. Just never won a championship. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think not winning a championship makes you a loser. Because there are some guys that can barely get into the playoffs. You know what I mean? Tracy McGrady never won a playoff series. He never won a playoff series. These guys have won playoff series. They went to the, the conference finals. Um, hell, Chris Paul went to the finals with the Suns. They literally just don't have the jewelry. But they are winning players and do not get that mistaken. So those are just a few names that come to my mind. I'm sure there's a lot others that you can throw in here. Uh, but really good question, Sauce God. Um, we got Tech. Tech Tech asked several questions. Um, what do I see myself in 10 years? That's always a tough question. I see myself continue to be successful. I, I, I see myself as being one of the most prominent voices in basketball, one of the best managers in in, in music, having my own um, label at that point, Ridge Vision being um, a hub for artists to continue to create and establish themselves in the music industry. Hopefully in 10 years, I've uh, I got a TV show or something that I've helped produce. Um, maybe I've acted in a movie or something at that point. But in 10 years, I, I hope to be, you know, doing the same things that I'm doing now, but at a bigger scale and a bigger level. Maybe this heliocentric is in its in its 10th year, but it's in a fully developed studio in its own space. And I'm having NBA guests that are, you know, breaking their neck to come on the show all the time. Who knows? Maybe I'm still doing it by myself. Um, maybe I'm doing it just like this in a bigger house or something in a, my own created studio, but it's on a bigger level. Maybe more people are watching, you know what I'm saying? Who knows? But you know, just, you, you have to hope that you're doing the same things because this brings me happiness, but just on a bigger scale and a bigger level. Um, and hopefully, um, I'm, I'm killing the game and I'll be, you know, healthy, my family and friends, healthy, happy, and successful. Um, that's all you can really ask for. Um, your all-time favorite starting five. And if it, this is always tough. I'm going to try not to just be generic because I could easily be like, man, my fi- my starting five, give me Braun at the point, Kobe at two, Michael at three, Tim Duncan at the four, Shaq at five. Like, my favorite, so not the best, even though a lot of these guys are some of my favorites. At the point guard position, Penny Hardaway. Y'all know I love Penny. 
That's my boy. At the two, we got Kobe. My two favorite players of all time are in the backcourt together. I love it. Um, at center, give me Tyson Chandler. Of course, I can go Shaq. I can go Duncan. I like those guys, too. But I'm going to just try to be a little bit different. And I always had major love for uh, Tyson Chandler. Give me Tyson Chandler at the five. At the four, at the four, this is interesting, too, because, again, I can go Kevin Durant. All these. I'm going to go Rasheed Wallace. Give me Rasheed Wallace at the four. Uh, he can space the floor and whatnot. He's going to bring some intensity. He's a champion. He knows how to win. And then give me at the three, who do I want to put? I could put LeBron. I could put Michael. Um, I love those guys. You'll see behind me, I got books on Kobe, LeBron, Michael, everywhere. That's Man, those are the goats. Michael pitchers up there. Kobe pitchers up there. They go Penny and Jordan. Um, at the three, at the three, give me Tracy McGrady. Give me Tracy McGrady. I wanted to for a small factor. Do Lamar Odom, because y'all know that's my boy. Lamar Odom is going to be my sixth man, though. Lamar Odom will be my sixth man. But give me Tracy McGrady, because I think Tracy McGrady would be able to fit with his skill set with all of those guys. You know what I'm saying? We have Penny, Kobe, T-Mac, Rasheed Wallace, Tyson Chandler, and Lamar Odom as my sixth man, for sure. I like that team. Um, Next, we got Yuh, <laughs> King, 17. Who is the next breakout 3 and D player to capture everyone's attention in the playoffs? Good or bad, thinking like Dylan Brooks or Bruce Brown archetype. Yeah, I don't know if you classify this guy as a 3 and D, but I think he's even already doing it. Jalen Suggs. I think Jalen Suggs has carved out an identity and a lane for himself, and he's taking it as a star in his role, and I think he's becoming a beloved figure in the Magic organization. And around the NBA, we're looking and talking about him a lot different than we were just last year or the year before. And I think um, if they're able to continue what they're doing and make it the playoffs, especially at a high level like they're doing, he's going to be a guy that I think that type of intensity is only going to be uh, amplified in a playoff type setting where it's it's like, whoa, OK, you know what I'm saying? So give me give me Jalen Suggs. Um, Ty Merrick Media Media, he says, what what constitutes a successful rebuild? The Pelicans tore it down, but may have to be, but may have to trade one of their stars. Detroit has the players to be successful, but coaching and ownership is holding them back. In the NBA, what has been the most successful rebuild of recent memory? We have so many. And in fact, let me see if I can find it. Real, okay. So I seen this question last night. So I wanted, so I did something, and listen to this. This is an article on Bleacher Report from nearly ten years ago. This article was produced by Zach Buckley on Halloween, October 31st, 2014. The headline cover picture is Kobe Bryant. And the title of the, art, of the article is Ranking the Biggest Rebuilding Projects in the NBA. Listen to this. At number seven, you have the Boston Celtics. And in this article, the Boston Celtics is mentioning that he's mentioning that Roger Rondo, uh, Rajon Rondo is on the contract year. You have stretch bigs like Kelly Olenek and Jared Selinger, who are trying to prove themselves as centerpieces. <laughs> you have a rookie, Marcus Smart, who plays with relentless energy. Jeff Green, who can explode at any time. And Marcus Thornton's hot streaks are exciting as any reserves. He also brought up the fact that you have um, you have Avery Bradley, who is a defensive hound, and he's continuing to develop. And when you think about that and you think that they are a project, and you look at where they are now, the Celtics have to be in that conversation. 
they were talking about a rebuild with Rondo, and they were naming Jared Sullinger. Brandon Bass is in this article representing the Celtics. Jared Sullinger, Kelly Olenek, and look at them now. Their lineup is Derek White, Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Tatum, and Porzingis with Al Horford. Like, they're, they're, they're probably my pick to win a championship. That means that was a quick 10-year window. They did it, and then the, they've competed for a championship too. Like, they've had three or four strong years of being those guys. And even in Jason Tatum's rookie year, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. They have to be one of the best rebuilds in recent memory. At number six, listen to this. The Milwaukee Bucks. You know who's the face thumbnail picture for the Bucks that represent them? Jabari Parker. In the article, they are na- they say between sophomores Giannis Antetokounmpo and number two pick Jabari Parker, the Bucks have two of the most electric young talents in the business. They also have Larry Sanders and John Henson protecting the paint. This team can compile highlight reels at the defensive end. Um, they have veterans like O.J. Mayo and Ersan Ilyasova. If Brandon Knight can't score an extension by Friday night, the scoring point guard will have extra incentive built off last year's breakout effort. Look at the names that they're naming. They're naming Brandon Knight, Larry Sanders, Ersan Ilyasova, O.J. Mayo. Bucks are young and athletic, and new head coach Jason Kidd plans to incorporate those strengths. Look at the Bucks now. Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, a championship. This is a successful rebuild. They have a championship. Chris Middleton, Brooke Lowe, but they have a championship. Never in a million years when he was writing this article that they think Giannis would be who he is now and the Bucs would have won a championship. Success. Number five. The cover picture is a, a baby Andrew Wiggins and a baby Zach Levine. Look at the Timberwolves now, but listen to some of the names. Timberwolves had one of the league's best passes in Ricky Rubio and two of the highest flyers in the NBA and rookies, Andrew Wiggins and Zach Levine. Um, it's more about the philosoph- philosophical shift this team took when it flipped Wigg- uh, Kevin Love for Anthony Bidden and, Wing- and Wiggins and Thaddeus Young. Uh, who else are they naming in this, in this article? It's really, uh, that is especially problematic when guys like Mo Williams, Kevin Martin. Yeah, they're basically talking about Wing- uh, Wiggins, Levine, and Gorgie Dane. But for them to go from that to now where you have Anthony Edwards, Rudy playing how he's playing. You have Cat, Jaden McDaniels, you have Naz Reed. They're the top team in the Western Conference. Rebuild looks to be going well. They just have to hit it home, just playoffs. Number four, you have the Utah Jazz. This is a Utah Jazz that they're saying the cover pitcher is Derek Favors. Derek Favors is one of the league's most underrated players. The former number three pick well, uh, shows well from nearly every angle. Uh Australian import Dante Exum possesses freakish physical gifts. They're talking about Trey Burke. They're ta- and it says Rudy Gobert looks ready for the bright lights. First year coach Quinn Snyder. You look at what progressed after this. They even talk about Gordon Hayward in this. They talk about Cantor, Alec Burks. But what progressed after this, I know the Jazz aren't in the best state right now. But they had Donovan. They went out and drafted Donovan Mitchell. They made changes. They became one of the top teams in the Western Conference. They weren't able to bring it home. But that rebuild kind of has some success there. Every team that's been named is having success or has had success because the Utah Jazz started another rebuild. But they 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 did well in the last one. They just didn't win a championship. Number three, Orlando Magic. This Orlando Magic team is mentioning Victor Oladipo. He's hurt with a facial fracture. 
Um, they're talking about rookies, Alfred Payton and Aaron Gordon. And they're talking about an extension that Vucevic just got. And now you look at them. They're doing their thing right now. They're they're one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Paolo, Franz Wagner, just mentioned Jalen Suggs. Um, so, boom, they're having success in their rebuild. And the Lakers at number two with Kobe as the pitcher. And in reality, the Los Angeles Lakers, two games in the books, two double-digit losses on record. Kobe Bryant predictably has no interest in accepting the fate. And they're talking about looking beyond Bryant just as there ain't much there. Steve Nash and Julius Randle are both lost for the year. Nick Young is sidelined for the foreseeable future. Jeremy Lin has had a brutal start. Carlos Boozer is still Carlos Boozer. Look at the names that they're mentioning. And for the future, all that they talked about was Julius Randle, who had a broken leg his rookie year. And now look at the Lakers. Just won the play-in. I mean, I just won the uh, in-season tournament. They got a ring now. They had drafted Lonzo, Ingram, D'Angelo Russell, Kyle Kuzma, Zubak, Josh Hart. Made the trade, got Anthony Davis. Their rebuild went successful. And then the number one team is the Philadelphia 76ers, who have a picture of Michael Carter-Williams, Nerlens Noel, and a rookie Joel Embiid. And they're mentioning those names. Who else is getting mentioned here? Um, They're talking about, that's pretty much it. Those three. And obviously, we know where they are now and where they've been. You know, drafted Ben Simmons, Markel. You know, a bunch of different guys. Robert Covington, they had success, made it to the playoffs. Jimmy Butler, Tobias, J.J. Redick, and now they're still doing their thing. So the best rebuild in recent memory has to be the Boston Celtics. But it's just funny that every team that was named in that article did well in their rebuild. Every team. Even the Jazz, who in today is in another rebuild. But, man, that they, they, were, they did their thing with the Rudy and Donovan duo. They just didn't win a championship, but everybody has had good, good successful rebuilds. Not everybody, but a lot of teams. There's seven teams. And again, just so y'all know, that article was titled Ranking the Biggest Rebuilding Projects. All of those projects turned out to be fruitful, turned out to really be fruitful. So um, the Celtics, the Celtics is the answer. Um, next, we have Busy. Busy says, with how advanced offenses are sometimes, it's a matter of pick your poison. I hear a lot of people say certain uh, contain the star will let the role players beat us. I also hear a lot of stars going to go off regardless. As long as we can stop the others, we'll be all right. Which philosophy do you prefer and do you think it varies from situation to situation? I think it varies from situation to situation. There are certain stars that will beat you if you let them. I'm, I'm, I'm with containing the star because there are certain stars that just they just know how to play basketball. And they will beat you if you let them. LeBron will beat you. Luka will beat you. Steph will beat you. Like, let's contain them. Let's just contain them. Let's contain them. But there's a guy like Luka, you know, Luka will beat you. He can manipulate defenses. He can pass. He can score. You know, I'm, so I'm not letting him get going because he'll just go and go and go. And he's always going to make the right play. Now, if it's a star who's trying to score, let's contain him because he's just going to keep scoring and keep scoring and keep scoring or trying. He's going to keep shooting. He's not going to really make the right play. He'll take a shot over four people before he make, passes it to his teammate and gives trust in them. So, you know, it de- definitely depends, but I'm on containing the star. If a role player beats us, man, then we were just meant to lose because we should be able to contain a role player if he gets hot. If we're containing their star player, we should contain that guy. But I'm always on the, the, the side of containing the star for sure. Um, SC Panther. He asked two questions. 
Um, I like the second one. I like both, but I like the second one. He says, what do you think about relegation? Some people have been talking about relegating the Pistons and Wizards to the G League. Is it a good idea? I don't think that's a good idea because somebody in our league has to be bad. You know what I mean? That's just a part of the game. There's not a season in the NBA where there was no bad team. Every team was good. That just doesn't exist. But I definitely think that there has to be, I don't know, there has to be something that shakes it up. Because I think we talk about expansion and expanding the NBA, and I think that means even more teams potentially coming in and being a little worse. Because they're saying it's a lot of talent in the G League and whatnot, and I think it is. But, man, when you look at certain teams that don't have, like the Pistons, they we projected them to be better. The Spurs got Vic. They're supposed to be better. They had Keldon Johnson for sale. That, even that's not enough to win in this league. So if you take some G-leaguers and a bunch of role players off of the bottom half of these teams, those teams ain't producing no damn winning teams. Not in my opinion. So I don't know if relegating, but I think taking a standstill and pausing – and not being so quick to add teams. Um, yeah, we are producing a level at a large talent, but these level the, the talent is clicking up. Every team has two to three guys. I think adding teams, we get back to having one guy, and that's not enough in today's game. That's not enough. That's not enough. So I don't know if we got to go as far as relegating, but we definitely got to slow our roll a little bit and come to some real conclusions to figuring out how we don't have teams that are going a month without winning the game. Uh, Rob Fritz, he says, everyone is looking at teams like Chicago and Toronto to hit the reset button, but what other teams would you put in that discussion? Um, the Wizards, definitely. Definitely the Wizards. Um, I think the Pistons. And I know you're probably like, man, they're already in the reset. But no, like nobody on that team should be safe, including Kay Cunningham. Not because they're the bad players, but because when you lose that bad, you have to really internally look at everything. You have to look at every option. Um, as far as teams that may not be necessarily uh, at the bottom of the NBA, what about the Warriors? Depending on what happens with the Warriors, do you just keep doing this because those guys won, or do you try to maximize the window of Steph Curry? The Hawks, you know, they're 10th right now at 9-12, and 12, the 3-7 and seven in their last 10. The Pelicans, you know what I'm saying? The Pelicans are 12-11, and 11, they're 6-4 and four in their last 10, but... We had higher expectations for the Pelicans, higher expectations. So yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a few teams. The Cavs, if the cat the Cavs are playing better and they're seven three in the last 10, 13 and nine. But this that was a top four team last year who we thought were definitely gonna be better this season. So there's definitely some teams out there. Um, there's definitely some teams out there. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Um, next we're down to our last few guys. Um. What are some players you felt have been given up on early, too early in their careers? I think majority of players are given up too early um, in their careers. To be honest with you, who hasn't been given up too early? I think that's the missing balance. There's guys who I think I've seen give give chances like a thousand times, and there's guys who had like a cup of coffee. It's like, damn, nobody else tried to get this dude a, a chance, a realistic chance. Uh, off the top of my brain. Guys that I think were giving up on a little too early. Sheesh. Um, hmm. Guys that were giving up on a little too early. I think, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know who was giving up on a little too early. Off the top of my brain, yeah, I'm, I'm answering this off the top of my brain. 
Um, I'm not I'm not really sure, to be honest with you, because in today's game, in today's league, I think guys do get a lot of time. Majority of guys, there are certain players where you like, damn, like a guy like Grant Riller. I liked Grant Riller when he came into the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I, I thought Grant Riller was going to have a, a chance in the NBA. Um, I thought Isaiah Joe, the Sixers had given up on Isaiah Joe too early. Obviously, he's changing the narrative with OKC, but I thought he was giving up on too early. Um, I'm trying to think of some more guys that are, that maybe. It's, it's tough to think of off the top of your brain, but you there's definitely a balance that's missing there. I feel like there's a lot of guys giving up on too early. And then I also feel like there's a lot of guys like I kept seeing a lot. And I don't want to say it's a bad thing, but damn, Josh Jackson got a lot of damn opportunities. You know what I mean? Uh, I feel like Trey Lyles was being given up on too early at a certain point in time. Good thing he found his situation with the uh, with the Kings. Um, James Wiseman was giving up on a little bit too early. I would have kept really, and I hate the fact that he went to the Pistons who already kind of had some, some structure there. I wish he would have went to a team that legitimately didn't have a big and that weren't, you know, um, weren't giving those minutes away. I think he was giving up on too early. Damn, who else? I wish I had some time to think about this question, but there is definitely a lot of guys that I probably could go back and see some guys that can really shoot. Um, but yeah, off the top of my brain, I'm uh I'm I'm forgetting. But a lot of guys get a lot of a lot of chances. A lot of guys get a lot of chances. Dante Exum, um, I think he gave up on himself a little too early. I don't think he should have ran over to uh, oversee. I think he, I think he, I think he could have. But then again, maybe he made the right decision. I don't know. Um, Tingus Pingus, who is an NBA player who you think has zero haters? Shea Gilders Alexander. Shea Gilders Alexander, and I don't think he should have haters. He's cool. He's smooth. He dresses well. He plays the game at a high level. He's exciting to watch. I really just haven't seen a Shea Gilders Alexander hater, and I don't think I ever want to. Serious. Oh, Darius Baisley giving up on too early. Speaking of Shea, his former teammate in OKC. Darius Baisley isn't on a team right now. He's not on the team right now. I like Darius Baisley. I know a lot of people know that I like that, and I'm not even saying that because I like that. Like, but Darius Baisley, in my mind, I thought he could hoop. Six nine guy could put the ball on the floor a little bit. Yeah, it ain't hit, it ain't pop, but like, man, give it some time. They was giving up too early on Cam Reddish. And I know statistically Cam Reddish numbers ain't out of this world, but he has a place in the NBA starting on a team that's that's nice and that's good with the Lakers. LeBron James is out saying, I believe in this guy. I believe in this kid. So yeah. Darius Baisley is a perfect one. Uh, and then my last question comes from Intergalactic U, and I'm guessing me, because it's a Kid Cudi song, but his name cut off. Does tanking actually work? Which is what I titled this video. Because I felt it was a good question. I liked it. I didn't realize it was going to be the end of the podcast, so I apologize for that. But we talked about tanking a little bit and rebuilds. <sighs> Does tanking actually work? Tanking definitely works. I think the question that is better is is tanking worth it and that might actually be what i named this is tanking worth it do you have to tank to rebuild successfully and i would say no because you got to understand what tanking is tanking is we are purposely 
trying to play bad basketball and lose as many games as possible. Rebuilding is saying we are understanding that we're not a competitive team right now, but we're still going to go out here and play. We're going to accept our destination and our destiny that we're not that good and we're going to do what we can, but we're not going to try to, you know, if we can win 25 games, we'll win 25 games. Tanking is, hey, if we can win 25 games, how do we take 25 and take it to 19? How can we lose six more of those games? That's tanking. And the one thing that comes from tanking is obviously you get the picks. You're trying to put position yourself to have the best odds to get the number one overall pick and things change. That used to be, you know, now it's the bottom three teams and not just the worst overall team with the highest odds. But even then, I think some of the things that you create in the tanking environment, it can have an after lasting effect. And there is something called the basketball gods. And sometimes they come and bite you. So the 76ers, they are historically known for tanking. And in theory, they had a little bit of success because you got a franchise guy in Joel Embiid, an MVP player. You had got his sidekick in Ben Simmons. Yeah, it didn't turn out to, to be the best, but they did have a high level of success, those two together. Markel, that ain't work out. But you look at some of these things and you say, ah, that's the basketball guys getting you. Because Ben and, and, and Joel had success. And then they were able to go out and get jo- Jimmy, Tobias Harris, J.J. Reddick. Like they had a championship team over there. But Joel and B faced injuries. Ben Simmons was injured in his rookie year. Ben Simmons had the thing against the Hawk when he passed the ball. Markel had his injuries. So it's like. You know, but outside of the basketball God stuff and the injuries and things like that, I just don't think that it's I don't know if it's valuable to me or worth it to build a bad a, a winning a, a losing environment. Because to tank means you're purposely trying to lose. You're building bad habits. You're putting up a, a poor effort out there. You're putting a poor product on the floor in your city, in your arena. I wouldn't even want that type of shit in my in the air. We're losing and we're trying to lose and it ain't no secret and people know we're trying to lose. So we're trading anybody that's good and we're taking guys who are young and don't know shit or know anything about how to win or what it takes to win. And we're purposely trying to lose in real life. I don't know if I would personally try to do that. I think it's important to develop people. And I think part of developing is winning and knowing how to win and how to lose. You know what I mean? Knowing how to take a loss and what to do with it, knowing how to win, how to stay even killed, not get too cocky, how to close out a game, how to value possessions. Those are proper and and healthy traits that I think add up during the long, long uh, end. So is tanking worth it is, is the question I would say. I'm a Knicks fan. We tanked. We traded Przingis and tanked and we wanted Zion Williamson. And we wanted Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. And we got none of it. We got RJ Baird, who is a good player, but best believe the Knicks wanted stardom they wanted Zion and at the least Ja Morant they wanted a star somebody who was going to be a bona fide all-star with his own shoe and going to be on a face of posters and billboards in New York City that's what they were losing games for they weren't losing games for a solid starter who could be good no they wanted the unsure no doubt star and in that case it wasn't worth it it was not worth it because you probably could have got Darius Garland two picks later if you won six, six more games. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
it wasn't worth it. So that's the question. I don't think it's worth it because I think there's value in winning and knowing how to win. And there's value in being prestigious in whatever you do. There's just there's just value in that and saying, hey, we're first class. This is what we do. And this is what we're going to do. And this is what we're about. And if we ever have a chance to win or compete, we're taking that versus losing. We're never going into a game trying to lose the game. We're never doing that. I think there's value in that. Um, and I think that says a lot. And as I, if I was a free agent, you know what I'm saying? I would take those type of things in consideration unless I was just chasing my bag. But I don't think tanking is worth it, but I, worth it. But I definitely think it works. It definitely has had its perks for certain teams that have done it but i guess it also depends on what you're trying to get out of it are you trying to win a championship because if so how many teams have theoretically really tanked and won a championship versus rebuild and won a championship like the Sixers still haven't had it but it may be worth it because they're perennial playoff team they had an mvp they sold jerseys and sold seats and made the playoffs and made money so they probably is cool with that but yeah tanking it works but it's not worth it in my opinion i think there's value in winning i think there's a recipe to be able to get good players even on your down year where you're just rebuilding and not tanking i look at the grizzlies you know at the end of the day you have to know how to draft you have to know how to develop and there's teams that have tanked like the the calves the calves were tanking and had you know, Anthony Bennett and 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 um, even before that, trying to tr- Tristan Thompson, you know, trying to put the proper pieces around Kyrie and luck Deion Waiters. And luckily, LeBron wanted to come back, but their tanking didn't result in anything. You know, what I mean, it just resulted in LeBron coming back, which had nothing to do with tanking. And they, on top of that, they were able to go and trade for Kevin Love with the number one pick Wiggins. Yo, if they didn't get Kevin Love, they would got somebody else. I don't know if y'all know by now, it's evident. LeBron is going to, he's calculating how to go and get guys, even if it ain't the first initial year. That was just a cherry on top. But him and Kyrie, having Kyrie, I guess, but even then, I don't know if that was tanking when they got Kyrie. I think they just lost Braun and they sucked. But after getting Kyrie, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I got mixed feelings. It don't always work because you do have certain results where you have to go and, and know how to evaluate and develop talent. The Kings after DeMarcus Cousins, all of the missed picks that they had, the Bobcats, perfect example. That's a better example than the Cavs. The Bobcats tanked, and look what they were getting. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Cody Zeller, Bismack Biombo. And no, they they won the least amount of games ever. And granted, it was lockout years or whatever, but even the winning percent, like, terrible. So um, it works, but it's not worth it, in my opinion. Always go out, compete, build a build a, a culture that's around playing hard, developing and, and, and getting getting out what you get from winning and competing at a high level. So um, but that's a wrap for the first ever mailbag episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you all did, please let that be known in the comments so we can continue doing this, um, you know, over that. Maybe we do this once a month. Maybe we we turn this into a, a segment that maybe not as as, as long because this was very long. It dominated the, the episode. But I love being able to take some of y'all questions and turn it into topics. And and I know a lot of y'all are going to reply to each one in the comments and give y'all own two cents. I'm all for that. I appreciate y'all. This is another episode of the Heliocentric podcast. As always, I am your host, Pee Wee the Plug. Um, P 
Pierre Andreessen, also known as Pee Wee the Plug. Um, and I love you guys. I thank you guys. I will see y'all next week. Um, be safe and continue getting ready for the holidays, man. Um, I'm out though. Peace.